This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. This episode is supported by Cherry Leaf's Contract and Recruitment Division. If you need a contract or permanent technical author or UX writer, then our specialist contract and recruitment service can help you. For more information, go to cherryleaf.com. Hello and welcome to the Cherry Leaf podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at Black Lives Matters, inclusivity and technical communication. So Black Lives Matter is very much in the news at the moment, at the moment being June 2020. And it seemed to be a relevant topic to ask because it's a topic that affects everyone and affects every type of job as well. So I am a white, middle-aged man, so I'm not qualified at all to talk about the black experience. I asked on social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn and Slack for people's opinions and experiences on this. And what this episode is going to be about is mainly the feedback that other people gave. The question I asked was, we're thinking of doing a Leaf podcast episode on Black Lives Matters, inclusivity and techcom. What can and should technical communicators do within and without their jobs? So before we start, let me provide a definition of what is meant by Black Lives Matters. There are different interpretations, different meanings, but the one that we're going to go with is that it means recognising that black people have historically suffered from prejudices and injustices and that they still do today. And they may not be as extreme, but black people can suffer from microaggressions and lack of opportunities that are available to people of a different colour. Now, in this context, I'm also going to widen it to what we call in the UK the BAME community, which is Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic, and consider other minorities in addition to black people, although probably the black community suffers more from prejudice and injustice in the States and elsewhere and in the UK, but also other minorities do have challenges and problems that should be resolved. And this is broken down into three sections. One, around the outputs and the things that technical communicators do, encouraging more BMA people to become technical communicators. And the third way is to how technical communicators could use their skills in the wider community to support the movements to improving inclusivity in the wider community. And I will be quoting from different people that provided comments on Twitter and LinkedIn and Slack. And let me start by taking one quotation from David Farby, who said, it's not a case of political correctness. It's making sure that what we produce is accessible to everyone and doesn't exclude everyone. So let's start by considering the outputs and the work that technical communicators do. And let's quote David Farby again. We, that is technical communicators, always strive to understand different points of view, users rather than developers, for example. We've made great strides with accessibility, so now we need to do more 
and eliminate bias in our writing and in the tech products we write about. And Deborah Barnard said, Inclusive language is probably one issue where we as technical communicators have a direct influence. Again, David Farby, we understand the importance of language. It's the element we work in. And changing language and terminology where we need to can be an important step for change and progress in general. Change won't happen overnight, but we have to try. Another reply came from James Scott, who's a technical writer at Google. And he said, we can drive initiatives to shift terminology and ensure our teams use race-neutral, inclusive language as a starting point. For example, find alternatives to blacklist and whitelist master and slave. And I must admit, I thought that the terminology master and slave had gone years and years ago. But I did notice an article on the BBC website that shows that it's still a term that's used today within technology. And the article was about GitHub and that GitHub has been using that term and is planning to move away from it. The page on the BBC website said, the world's biggest site for software developers is abandoning decades old coding terms to remove references to slavery. The GitHub chief executive, Nat Friedman, said the firm is working on changing the term master for the main version of the code to a neutral term. Mr. Friedman's announcement came in a Twitter reply to Google Chrome developer Una Kravitz, who said she'd be happy to rename the master branch of the project to Main if it prevents even a single black person from feeling more isolated in the tech community. GitHub users can already nominate whatever terms they choose for the various versions and branches of the project. In recent years, major projects have attempted to move away from such language, preferring phrases like replicas or similar terms over slaves, although the terms continue to be commonly understood and used. Other terms are being revised. For example, Google's Chromium web browser project and Android operating system have both encouraged developers to avoid using the terms blacklist and whitelist for directories of those things that are explicitly banned or allowed. Chromium's documentation instead calls for racially neutral language because terms such as blacklist and whitelist reinforce the notion that black is bad and white is good. It suggests the use of blocklist and allowlist instead. And Tom Ressing, who is a technical author at Microsoft, tweeted that his friend, Jonathan Lightfoot, has sent in 10 updates to the Microsoft documentation to improve how they can follow the bias-free communication standards of the Microsoft writing style. And he encouraged other people to collaborate and also contribute edits and revisions to the Microsoft documentation. And Barry Bynan said that he had updated all of the documentation that he deals with to replace execute with run and did similar changes in the user interface. So companies like Google and Microsoft are encouraging bias-free communication. The developers.google.com website has in its style guide now advice on inclusive documentation. And it says, we write our developer documentation with inclusivity and diversity in mind. This page is not an exhaustive reference, but describes some general guidelines and examples 
that illustrates some best practices to follow. And it has advice on how to avoid ableist language, unnecessarily gendered language, unnecessarily violent language, how to write diverse and inclusive examples, and to write about features and users in inclusive ways, and how to avoid bias and harm when discussing disability and accessibility. So under writing diverse and inclusive examples, they say follow gender neutral pronoun advice. So using they rather than his or her. Avoid being too culturally specific to the US. Be mindful when referencing specific holidays, cultural practices, sport, figures of speech and so forth. And take care to choose a diverse set of names to help examples reflect the real world diversity of our audience. And when writing about older adults, avoid terms and figures of speech such as elderly, the aged, seniors, senior citizens, 80 years young and so on. And the Microsoft Style Guide also has advice on bias-free communication. So again, it has gender-neutral alternatives and in text and images represent diverse perspectives and circumstances. In fictitious scenarios, avoid stereotypes in job roles. And I'll provide links to those references in the show notes. And on the Notion website, there is a page called Neutralizing Technical Jargon, which is a list of technical jargon to help evolve the language we use to describe technical products and concepts. And it's rather long and extensive list of resources and references on suggestions of different ways to word terminology. And at the bottom, there is a summary of words that are currently used and suggested alternatives to those. And the Splunk style guide has example names and domains. So if you want a variety of names that reflect different cultures and religious affiliations, that might help you. And on GitHub, somebody called Tom, who works, I think, for DuckDuckGo, has provided a page of names that you can use in the user interface and elsewhere that are appropriate for different countries around the world. And again, I'll provide a link to that in the show notes. On LinkedIn, Sarah Feldman commented and referenced a CNET article no one thinks changing the language of technology will bring racial equality to the US, which is still convulsing from protests prompted by the death of George Floyd, the unarmed black man who was killed two weeks ago when a police officer pinned a knee to the back of his neck for nearly nine minutes. But the effort to alter how technology is discussed acknowledges how pervasive racism is and how eager many people are to address it in areas where they might have some direct influence. Jasmine Andrews on Twitter said, actively seek out opportunities to challenge your perceptions and assumptions. Never assume that everyone shares your experience. Consider race, gender, and neurodiversity, as well as disability and other adaptive needs. And Margot Blumstein also pointed out that taxonomy is never neutral. And she said, can we discuss why, for example, natural history museums are the typical homes for exhibits of African and indigenous culture? So the taxonomy that we use, the metadata that we apply, 
may also have cultural bias or may exclude certain communities. So let's move on to the second section and the question, how can we encourage BAME people to become technical communicators? Because part of the feature and dynamics of the Black Lives Matter movement has been the recognition that this is a problem for everyone in the community to address and to resolve. And Tom Johnson has already been writing about the issue of Black Lives Matter and diversity in technical communication. And in his article, he said, the employee demographics at most tech companies don't reflect the same demographics of their surrounding communities. Silicon Valley companies aspire for more diverse workforces. They haven't made much progress. In the top 75 companies, only about 3% of employees are black. Many Silicon Valley companies attribute the low percentage due to the lack of candidates in the pipeline, but they also insist on recruiting from elite colleges. And David Farby on Twitter said, as a profession, Techom needs to act on its lack of diversity by encouraging and supporting colleagues from all backgrounds and ethnicities. Now, most of the comments reflect the technical writing community, and most of the comments so far came from people who it would appear to be white. We did get comments from people that were from the BAME community, and they focused on this particular point of how can we get more BAME people into technical communication. John Paz said, if you're on a hiring board, make sure your interview questions are fair and free of bias. Ask a diversity and inclusion expert to review your job openings, your hiring practices, and more importantly, your interview questions. Ask hard questions of how you recruit and maintain minority talent. Asking a diversity and inclusion expert mean actually hiring them and paying them accordingly, and does not mean ask your resident minority to, quotes, reveal this real quick, close quotes, unless you plan to compensate them appropriately. He says, for my white tech on colleagues, especially those of you in positions of power, you must proactively advocate for your minority colleagues. Be their champion when they're not in the room. Help them find and secure advancement opportunities. Protect them from prejudice. And Shonida Kraut said, for job inclusivity, a good place to focus would be how to sponsor versus mentor. Access to unposted jobs in networks is more valuable than discussing a five-year plan. Being able to be employed as a technical communicator is the goal, and not just in the admin or the unwanted roles. John and Shonida highlight a key point that there is a habit of going towards the tried and tested routes to do outreach and encourage people at the role of technical communicators. I've been involved with the Institute of Scientific and Technical Communicators in the UK and we have a situation where people will go out to universities and talk about the profession and what technical communicators do. However, the universities that tend to invite the ISTC to go to their events tend to be the traditional universities like Cambridge University, where the BAME community has been so far underrepresented. 
On Slack, Nicola said, I think there's value in making tech writing as a career more visible to the general public. Job titles like developer, graphic designer or translator are all familiar if you mention them to random people. But so often roles like tech writer or information architect require an explanation. I think we could do a better job advocating for documentation and the role of the documentarian outside of doc conferences and meetups. Raise awareness at conferences that support underrepresented groups. For example, I did a talk recently at an accessibility conference. Collaborate with organizations that provide coding skills to underrepresented groups and offer to help them set up a class on tech writing fundamentals so that students realize that programming isn't the only interesting technical role where they can contribute in technical fields. Even something simple like an AMA Ask Me Anything session. Stephen McCarthy said on Twitter, if you're a regular speaker at events, stop talking and hogging the limelight. Make space for other people, specifically those voices from backgrounds underrepresented in your industry. And to those organizing events, make an effort to look beyond the superstars. Well, one of the things that the ISTC's conference, Technical Communication UK does, is it encourages new speakers. And that is a good approach, and they will provide mentoring and advice to help people that are new to public speaking. And certainly that's a good approach that other organizations should, that are organizing conferences should consider as well. So what about the wider society? One of the comments or feelings has been that everyone or many people should get involved in reducing the inequities and inequalities and biases that there are in the wider society. Technical writers do have certain skills. They're very good at researching, finding out about stuff, and then summarizing their findings. And I think this is one area where, as technical writers, we can apply our skills to help address the challenge that we as a community, as a society face. And in the UK, one of the ways that we can do that is to look at and be aware of the legacy of slave ownership and colonialism. So when slavery was abolished in the British Empire in 1833, the government agreed to pay compensation to the slave holders, but not to the enslaved people. University College London's Centre for the Study of the Legacies of British Slave Ownership traces the claims for compensation and the impact of slave ownership on the formation of modern Britain. And it has a searchable archive on its website, the website being ucl.ac.uk forward slash LBS. What I did was I was curious to find out what the impact had been where I live, which is a place called Spelthorne. It's got 100,000 people. And so I looked at the different towns that comprise the modern day borough, which there's probably about eight towns and villages, and looked at if there were any names that came up who lived in those towns in 1833. And there were a number, and I summarized those, it ended up as a six page word document. And I sent that to the local history museum and I sent it to a couple of councillors as well to help inform the debate as to what 
this community, this locality should do with regard to the legacy that's here today in terms of memorials, in churches, in parks, in the names of streets, what it should do about those where they have a connection to a family or a person who had been a slave owner. And that's possible for other people to do by going to the website and doing searches on particular towns and villages. So in summary, so in summary, there are a number of things that we can do. We can look at what we write and make it as inclusive as possible to minimize any microaggressions that there might be that's put into the words and phrases that we use. We can do things to encourage more people from the BAME community to become technical communicators through outreach or by making sure we're not using channels to advertise jobs or encourage speak or have speakers at events, but make sure the channels that we use are as inclusive as possible. And we have skills that we can use in the wider community to increase awareness of the legacy of slave ownership, certainly in the UK. And also I would like to finish with a video that was put together by Amruta Renada. She replied to my query on Twitter and said, I tried examining my unconscious bias and how it manifests in my writing. And she's put together a video on YouTube about that. And I would like to play the audio recording of what she said. Hi. Um, I know I promised a series of Tech Writing 101 videos, but it feels so insignificant right now. The worldwide protests that have erupted in response to George Floyd's horrific murder have given rise to a lot of conversations about racism in every aspect of life. And the conversations made me think about how I and my field, that is tech writing, contribute to the problem and how I can be part of the solution instead. Here's what I've learned. Writer's unconscious bias. Before we talk about tech writing, we need to talk about the writer. In my case, that's me. I genuinely believe that I'm not a racist. After all, I am a brown immigrant woman in tech. I face racial microaggressions and discrimination on a regular basis. How can I discriminate against anybody else? But this week has been a painful realization of the benefits I get from my proximity to white privilege. Being an educated, financially secure person in New York City gives me tremendous privilege. I admit that it's earned privilege and not inherited privilege but it is still privilege. Add to that the deep-rooted antagonism towards darker skin in Indian communities, even some of my family, and it makes me part of the problem. I will link to a post that describes this in more detail than I can, but the bias does exist, and it does not manifest itself consciously, but it does manifest unconsciously. Audience analysis and user research. Knowing my audience is critically important to me as a tech writer. I do a detailed analysis of a user, I fill out audience analysis worksheets, I do user research, and yet when I'm writing a docs, I'm realizing that I'm unconsciously writing for the straight white man, like the straight white educated privileged man who has gone to a really good college, has got an education, and is now working at a really good position in tech. Why is that my default mental model for our users? This is a particularly painful realization for me because I write the security docs for CockroachDB and 
the content I consume about security is from black technologists on Twitter. So my input is the awesome content that black people in tech make, but I'm unconsciously still writing for the white man. And since this realization, I have been consciously trying to change my mental model of our ideal user. And it seems like it should be very easy to do, but it's really, really not. This bias is deeply ingrained in my conscious and it reflects in my sentence structures and the word choices I make. And it is important to critically think about the word choices because words matter. This week, I learned that I use discriminatory language in my document and I don't even realize it. An example of this is the use of the terms blacklist and whitelist. Why do I use these terms and not even think about it? Why do I use them when I can just as easily use their alternatives, allowlist and blocklist, which are more clearer anyway? I saw a debate on Twitter about how these words are not really racist because their origins are not racist. Then I saw this article about how these terms are racist in their origin. But to be honest, I don't think it matters what the origins of the words are. What matters is the context in which they are read. As Rich Balance said on Twitter, Imagine if you could make a change in your software that made one black developer feel more welcome and inconvenienced nobody, wouldn't that be worth it? I guess what I'm trying to say with this video is that I'm sorry. I now know that not being racist is not enough. I need to be actively anti-racist. And that begins with examining my own biases and learning and educating myself on how to be a more consistent ally and taking any and all actions towards fighting systemic racism. It doesn't matter if the actions are small and insignificant. It only matters that we take them because black lives matter. Oh, and just one thing before I go, if you are from the BAME community and you would like to be part of the Charlie podcast if you'd like to be interviewed about a particular topic do contact us and uh, we can arrange something for a future episode thanks for listening